Hello and welcome back for another episode of Between Here and There. I'm Sean. Hi, this is Charlotte. This is Summer. And with us in the studio today, we have Kevin Chen from Rocket Admit. Hey guys. So today our show is sponsored by Bora Pharmaceuticals. Yeah, Bora has got this uh, great product. It's B- called Chocolate BB, and it's a, a multivitamin. Uh, collagen kind of product. It has like mainly vitamin B, which we all need to feel very energetic every day. So what I really want to know is how much does it really taste like chocolate? No, it's nothing to do with chocolate. Chocolat. It's chocolat, not chocolate. So this is not chocolate, yeah. but it's chocolate. So yeah. why, why is it called chocolate then? Man. <laughs> okay, I will, can I get back to you on that? <laughs> we just make but, it. So, so it has vitamin it's, B? It's from Japan. It has vitamin B and uh-huh. a lot of collagen. And um, it's really easy to digest, so it makes you energetic and have great skin. Emphasis on the collagen. I think, you know, for all the girls who listen, it's like, oh, collagen. Yes, we need for, that. Right. But guys can take it, too. You need collagen, too. I need well. collagen? Yeah, for your, uh, maybe your bones and stuff like that. And good skin as well. And good guys skin. need good right. skin. All right. Yeah, all right. You can get it at Kangshime uh, uh, or uh, Watson's and all these places. All right, for BB Chocolat. Yeah. All right. Okay, so today our episode is talking about this uh, there's a recent show on Netflix, right, that everyone's really into. Everyone's talking about, especially if you got kids or thinking about college or going to college in the United States. This was a big scandal a couple of years back, mm-hmm. right? And it was, so this show is, is called Operation Varsity Blues. Yes. And... What is what is it about? Let's have Summer give us like a, a brief recap of the show here. It's a documentary and it's a reenactment of the FBI wired tapes um, that they tapped on on the uh, what's his name? On Rick Singer. Rick Singer. The Ringer. On Rick Singer's phone. So if you guys aren't aware, there was a college admission scandal a few years back right. where. Parents, very, very wealthy parents, paid a lot of money to get their kids into college uh, through a back door, mm-hmm. um, illegally. It's a side door. Or, yeah, side it's door. It's not a back door. Right, sorry, side so, door. So they say that the back door is... So, you, so the front door is how you get in usually, right? right? right. And yep. that's what that's what Kevin helps students with. Yeah. Right. That's right. And then there's Kevin, the back door, which, which is... You donate a building. Yeah. yeah, you donate like $50 million or something mm-hmm. like that, right? Yeah. And then there's something called the side door, which is what this guy, Rick Singer, especially specializes in yes right right and um uh, supposedly what they do is they they falsify some documents mm-hmm. they can put they can they can photoshop your face you know onto, onto a like, student or an athlete's body right they can change your test scores right and uh kevin you've heard of this guy before yes right I yes. mean, you heard of what he's, happened to he's him. given us our industry a very notorious reputation unfortunately yes wow. yeah mm. you know it, it's he's really kind of made everyone culpable in the industry that, you know, with schools looking at all admissions consultants like we're a bunch of criminals because we're all <laughs> engaging in similar activities like that. Yeah. Right. Yeah. And and uh, so this, you know, this show and why we have Summer actually giving us the recap yeah. on this is because our very own Summer Shen is actually in this show. Yeah. Right? Yes. In this movie. Yeah. Right? It's called, uh, a, it's documentary. a documentary. It's a documentary yeah. with significant Acting. reenactments. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Right. It's but, Matthew Bodine. Yeah. From, um, from from what? From what? From, uh, from Vision from Quest. What? I mean, I'm so dating myself. He's from all these like 80s, 90s shows, right? Yeah, yeah. yeah. Matthew Bodine. He does a pretty good job of, of doing Rick Singer, I yeah. think. Yeah. <laughs> 
So anyway, um, so summer is actually in this collage of moments from the beginning, maybe like five minutes, mm -hmm. right, of this documentary, which uh, shows all these high school students on the verge of checking on their computer and whether or not they got in or not. Summer, take us back to that moment here. I was super nervous that day. I came home and the decision had already come out probably an hour ago, but I was waiting for my brother to come home and open it with me. Um, wow. So I was just like sitting there sweating, waiting for him to come home. And he was late, of course. Um, and I filmed myself because, you know, on YouTube, there's a lot of people who film their college decision reactions mm. and they get a lot of views. Right. Um, so I was like, oh my gosh, maybe I'll become a YouTube star. <laughs> That's how you got started? Yeah. Well... I had a YouTube channel before that, but uh -huh. I never really posted on it. Um, and so I filmed my reaction. I thought I wasn't going to get in. In fact, I said it in the yeah, documentary. I was like, I'm not going to get in. I'm probably going to so get rejected. Yeah. Um, and then like two seconds later, I'm screaming and so excited. <laughs> and Summer got early admission into Harvard. Mm -hmm. Right. A, a great moment, I'm sure. They, um, uh, you know, my, my one regret with the show is that they didn't show more of Summer. You know, I, I wish I had, had that, that whole moment because it was a collage of all these different moments, right? Mm -hmm. But I wanted to see the tension, uh, right? It's like, oh, I'm not going to get any. And then, and then it was no, the next you, you cut. Can, it was like, ah! But if you really want to watch the full thing, I mean... It's on YouTube. It's on YouTube. You can watch it's, it. It's on Summer's uh, channel, right? Mm -hmm. Just yeah. on Summer Shen. How do we search, search for you? Just Summer Shen? Mm -hmm. <laughs> oh, okay. Yeah. All right. Easy enough. Yeah, because so the Netflix version actually didn't show your reaction after you got in. I think it was the anxiety beforehand, Well, right? I think mm -hmm. I think that yeah. whole thing is a very short part of the... the yeah, the, yeah. <laughs> it was like, I'm not going to get in, and then I scream, and then yeah. it, that's it. Yeah. yeah. I remember the moment that I got in, um, and back then it was a phone call. You called into the admission office. Really? Yeah. <gasps> and then so you tell them your social security number, your your you know your, your full name, and then you can hear them turning the pages. <laughs> And it's just like, hold on, hold on. Mm. Oh, oh, there you are. Yes, Sean. yes, yes. And, and, and there's like a pause, which feels like a million years. <laughs> and the moment when they said, congratulations, welcome to Harvard. And at that moment, it was just like, everything just goes bright. And I remember I was upstairs in my room and I remember like turning around, going downstairs and my mom and my grandma was there. And we're just like, oh my did you, goodness! Did you hear music? Like music in the background, like I, I mean, angels was, sing, and <laughs> yeah, it, it was crazy. It was probably one of the most emotional moments of my life, really. You know, and and I think for so many kids, it really is right that moment when you get into your dream college. Yeah, and now it is increasingly harder and harder yeah. for that moment to happen. Right. For a very small percentage of kids, yes, they're going to get that. But then for the majority, probably more than nine out of 10, right? I mean, 9.99 out of 10, right? They're going to they're gonna walk away quite disappointed. And there yeah. are that collage of also the disappointed yes. kids also in Operation Varsity Blues. They're crying. The, the, the documentary. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So the whole documentary, which we really recommend everyone to watch. Yeah. Right. It really brings up a lot of different different subjects and feelings yes. and, and things. But ultimately, I think the the show raises this question of who is the real culpable ones, mm. right? Who is responsible mm -hmm. for this becoming this way? Yeah. Is it the parents who are willing to pay that much behind, even going behind their kids' backs mm -hmm. 
to yeah. try to get the kids, you know, into yeah, that some college. Some of the kids are the- actually capable. They can actually get it on their own, but the parents right. are just kind of worried. They want to have that extra insurance. Right. And they can't, right? They yeah. have the money. And Or is it people like Rick Singer, right, who enables it to happen? Are these the coaches? And ultimately, I mean, there was one line. I don't remember exactly how it goes, but I think it was, I forgot who said it. It was really the culpable ones can be said to be the colleges who keep themselves even more and more and more exclusive. So I want to ask Kevin about this, right? Because you're, I mean, your job is to help kids get into these elite colleges. Have you ever had parents that come to you and be like, hey, uh, Kevin? Side doors. Yeah. yeah. Create a side so, uh, door. Side door. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I, I got some, you know. Polo. <laughs> I can make a contribution <laughs> to your foundation. <laughs> well, woman's <Yeah>. polo team. <laughs> Here's some Wu Yuetian tickets or something. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> wow, you're cheap. <laughs> I know. I, I, I can be sold for very cheap. Yeah. I know. I, I, I work with community colleges and that's it. <laughs> <laughs> but Kevin, I mean, do you, I, I'm sure you're facing anxious parents all yeah. day long right? yeah mm-hmm. i mean what's your take on this i mean going back to your original question like who is culpable uh, i'm gonna give a very cliche and very boring answer and the answer is all of the above mm-hmm. in my mind like mm-hmm. it's never just one stakeholder within this food chain mm-hmm. that is responsible for this um and ultimately i feel like I'm, i would almost look at this more of as a macro issue of the societal obsession with luxury brands Mm-hmm. Um, because you're talking about if there's really no difference between a Harvard and an Oklahoma State, or maybe nothing, something that not that drastic. Let's say a Harvard even versus a Cornell. Mm-hmm. Like if we accept that, there's really once you get past a certain level, the kids are basically kind of the same, and it's just luck of the draw where they end up. I don't think we would have this obsession in terms of just kind of minute differences between people and having parents. And kids and admissions officers sweating over these minute differences. So what you're saying, Kevin, is that there is actually a huge difference between the elite colleges. Um, And what would be the primary difference? What do you think is the thing that makes them so unique and so desirable? The difference is perception. There's no doubt about it. Like when my students ask me, you know, Mm. so what are the biggest advantages that having gone to Harvard and Princeton and Stanford has afforded you? My blunt answer to them is when you've gone to those schools, you could say nine stupid things or do nine stupid things. And people are still going to give you a second chance because they just refuse to believe that you can be stupid. Mm-hmm. Whereas if you don't know, have those luxury brands behind you, you have to do nine really smart things for someone to think you're actually smart. And by the way, guys, so what Kevin is talking about right there, Harvard, Princeton uh, and Stanford. Yes. yes. Stanford, he actually has done all three. Yes. And, and McKinsey also. Yes. Right. Done it so, all. Done it all yeah. name so, so now, yeah. He bought so, Chanel, Aramis, <laughs> Gucci. So now everything you, that you hear Kevin say, you have to take with a grain of salt. <laughs> he is a very smart guy. <laughs> so what you're saying right there is the biggest difference is perception. Absolutely. So then it's all about branding. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I would say the in terms of difference in perception, that happens in broad stroke, right? Mm-hmm. If you're talking about a category of schools, mm-hmm. the difference between them is perception. Mm-hmm. If you're talking about a school in tier one versus a school in tier five, there's, well, yeah, a, there's a very good kind of like actual quality difference between them. Mm-hmm. But what the parents and the kids are fighting for really aren't, you know, 
talking about tier one versus tier five. They're trying to differentiate between all the colleges within a certain tier, and they want to be at the higher end of that tier versus the lower end. So therein lies the obsession. So I think that's what we're focusing on、yeah. in terms of the difference in perception. So in the movie, they say、uh, there's more than three thousand colleges in the U.S.,、mm-hmm. right? So for there is a college for every student who wants to go.、Mm-hmm. The problem is that most of the students want to go to the same colleges.、Mm-hmm. Yes, and that's because due to the perception right there. Yeah. What do you think about the the quality of education between these? Say a tier one and tier two or tier three. Yeah. Once you get to different tiers, and obviously we can define tiers very differently、mm-hmm. depending on who we're talking about.、Mm-hmm. But certainly, it's not true to say everything is perception. That、mm-hmm. a Harvard is exactly the same as a school that's ranked regularly, you know, one thousandth in the、mm-hmm. United States.、Mm-hmm. No, there is a substantive difference in the quality of education you're getting、yeah. at also, Harvard that, versus that school. I think I think people go there for networking. If you're like、yes. a business major or you want or the alumni network, it's、yeah. very、yeah. important. And also the professor quality professors、yeah. and research institutes, the kind of research that you're able to get in. Absolutely. Think, yes. Yeah. I think that's that's what. But not every school is suited for that student. I mean, you、no. can ha- you can you can make a resume and have that person goes to a certain school, but that person might not last. Like you know, more than a semester there, right? Yeah. Because you know,、yeah. I mean, it's really a high stress situation to be in that kind of situation. Yeah. So I mean, you're Charlotte. You're actually bringing up a good point. So when we're talking about the obsession over brands and what we're talking about in terms of Operation Varsity Blues, there's kind of two different types of obsessions that I see. One is, and this is more, I think, typical of Operation Varsity Blues. You're trying to get a kid who simply doesn't belong in a certain tier、mm. into that tier by、mm-hmm. completely faking it.、Mm-hmm. But on a lesser scale, on a milder scale, but something that's more prevalent, are kids within a certain tier, and you're trying to get that kid into the upper end of that tier.、Mm-hmm. Like, let's say a kid who's probably going to get into, you know, a top twenty school because、mm-hmm. he or she is very, very good already.、Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. But you're trying to ensure that that kid doesn't just end up at a top twenty,、mm-hmm. but she ends up at one or two that、mm-hmm. goes to Harvard or Stanford、mm-hmm. or something. Yeah,、mm-hmm. and that's the type of obsession that we see more in the industry,、mm-hmm. right? We're not seeing parents who are just complete crooks、mm-hmm. who are trying to do something that their kids don't deserve.、Mm-hmm. But the reality is, if your kid is good enough for a top twenty school, that kid can do just fine at Harvard or Stanford because、right. qualitatively. There is no difference between a Harvard or Stanford versus a school that's ranked twentieth.、Mm-hmm. They're in the same tier, and any、yes. kid who can flourish at, you know, Duke would be、mm-hmm. able to do just fine at Harvard.、Mm-hmm. So that's the type of obsession、yeah. we see more in the industry. Actually, I, I want to ask Summer.、Um, For you, how important was it that you got into Harvard? How important was it for you and your parents? For me personally, it was not very important as long as I got into one of the schools I applied to because I. I had an ambitious list of schools I wanted to apply to, but as long as how many?、Um, around twelve, and they were all like the top twelve. Yeah,、mm. but yeah. So if I got into like Rice, for example, I would have been ecstatic. You know,、mm-hmm. I really like Rice as a、mm. school.、Um, but why? Why? I like their program. I like the city that it's in, Houston. I visited the campus, and everyone's really, really nice. But but it's in really interesting. It's really interesting because you wanted to study、uh, sports business, right? That's kind of like that one you wanted, wanted, and you don't have that major in Harvard. Actually, there are other schools that actually Rice offer actually that. does have sports exactly, management. Exactly, that's、right. what I was gonna say. I don't think I was gonna major in it. Maybe minor in sports management because that's a whole other issue. But I wasn't gonna major in it anyways.、Um, 
for me, I didn't really care which school I got into. I think for my parents, they also didn't care as long as, I mean, my dad growing up, he always told me I should go to a school that suited for me academically and socially. Mm. Um, but maybe for my grandparents, it mattered a little bit more <laughs> where I went to school. Oh, okay. Yeah. How so? Um, there my, are certain yeah. brands or certain colleges right. that they've heard of. Yeah, your right. grandparents probably only know like 10 schools in the U.S., right? Or, yeah, so... Your grandparents are still living in Taiwan or are they... Uh, this is the one in the States. So oh, okay. I... So, you know, when you're a junior, senior, everyone, when, when you talk to them, they ask you, oh, what schools are you applying to? Mm-hmm. And then I would tell them. And my mm-hmm. grandma would be, oh, my God, Summer, don't tell them you're applying to Harvard. It'll be so embarrassing for you if you don't get in. <laughs> <laughs> I was like, oh, okay. <laughs> so what, what, school, so what so schools good. are okay? <laughs> what yeah. schools are going to say? What Rice? are the non-embarrassing <laughs> schools? I, I don't know, man. She was like, Summer, you shouldn't talk about that. Did you tell your grandma that you applied to Rice? Yeah, she yeah. was happy about that. Oh, okay, yeah, right. yeah, yeah. She didn't ask you. We like, we like rice. Why? Yeah, yeah, well, yeah. She, she lives in <laughs> why is it? Why would a college be called rice? Is it yellow rice or white rice? Which one? <laughs> Chinese <laughs> like rice. So generally, generally, I think for grandparents, of course, their their opinions do matter, but mm-hmm. they were more concerned about you, kind of like you know, how would you feel, and and was it more kind of like that? But also like. What they would say to their friends. Ah, yeah, that's well, that goes for the parents as uh-huh. well, right? So that's yeah. the. I mean, that's one of the major things that I think when I was watching Operation Varsity Blues, it really brought into my mind like all this, the Chinese community that I grew up in in New York, mm-hmm. and where all the kids, you know, we mm-hmm. grew up together, and mm-hmm. it came college admission time, and everyone's like, "Oh, where are you applying to?" And it became this this point of competition between mm-hmm. the parents. Yes. Mm. Yeah. Especially among Asian parents. Such, Everyone talks about it. Right. So much gossip. Oh my, where is your child applying It's like to? the right. parents themselves are applying to schools. Yes. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. <laughs> yeah. It's such a status war. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And how do you deal with that when you see it? You know, Summer and I talked about this a couple of days ago. It's really strange to me because in a sense, I can understand why a 17 year old is obsessing over this process. Because he or she is dealing with this for the first time ever. Mm. And you could say they, they don't have the maturity to be able to see that life is more than about this one moment in time, no matter how exciting this one moment seems. But where I have a hard time really sympathizing is when you're talking about 50-year-old adults who've already gone through this process before, and now they're obsessing over again. They realize with the benefit of hindsight that life is much more about this one moment when mm-hmm. you're 17 years old, but yet when their kids are going through this, it's like they become 17 themselves again with no benefits of all the maturation after that. So well, it's, it is a very hard thing to deal with. And a lot of them is, you know, maybe there is a correlation between if the parents themselves had a disappointing moment when they apply to colleges, like they didn't mm. quite get to where they wanted to go. And this is like their second chance oh, of my getting yes. there. And the it's, unfulfilled dream that's passed yeah. down to the second generation. Yeah. But, but it's also, I, I think it's also an ultimate like testimony if you are a good parent. Like if your kid goes to a good school, then that means you must be a great parent. Exactly. And then exactly. If they, if they fail, yeah. they go to like, and they're, okay, so this secret thing that they are afraid of, because my son this year just went through the whole college application thing, is that they have no school to go to. But the, mm. the fact is, like, for instance, my kid. You mean actually, that's a secret fear? Of yeah, not it's a secret fear. Yeah. Like yeah. you have no school to go to. I mean, like they're going to end up with nothing. Yeah, yeah. nothing. Like, I want my kids to be happy, but yes. I'm afraid yes. that they won't have a school to go to. But Kevin, I'm sure that you've uh, met a lot of parents 
who yeah. are just like, you know, my kid does great in school, should go to one of these schools. Yeah. And, and gives you a menu. Mm-hmm. Right. Mm-hmm. So how, how do you talk to a parent like that? How do you get them to change their point of view? Because it sounds like that kind of brand name, pure brand name kind of, you know, uh, it's, it becomes, it, it really does become kind of tired and becomes a, a source of pressure for the kids. Yeah. I think fortunately, while there's on a superficial level, a lot of parents have this obsession or an immediate draw mm. to these brand names. There's also kind of a deeper side to most people where if you sit them down and have a rational conversation about this, ultimately they're parents and they love their kids and they do want what's best for their kids. Mm. And you could kind of analyze the whole thing and break it down and think while certain schools with certain brand names may look great on paper, there's actually a lot of other schools out there that objectively may actually be a better fit Mm -hmm. for your kid. And I think fortunately, there's different sides to people. While we're kind of talking about, you could say the worst uh, superficial side of people when you talk to them. But when they get to be a little bit deeper and you have a more substantive conversation, you Mm -hmm. could get to a point where they start to see the value of an education in a deeper way rather than just brand name itself. Mm -hmm. Right. Obviously, that's person dependent. But I think, you know, while we're talking about the worst of human gut instinct. There's also a second la- layer to it. If you take the time to actually go through these you know, decision-making trees, if you would, with the parents and the kids, you could often start to get them to see that it's really not just about brand name. Like you said, Sean, brand name is part of the equation, but it shouldn't be the only thing on the table. And I think you can get most rational people to see that at some point. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Right, because these elite colleges are now getting so selective that basically it's um, it's become hmm. ex- extremely difficult. And so I was watching this YouTube talk between Andrew Yang yes. and uh, Professor Scott, Scott Galloway from yeah. NYU. NYU. And they're talking about, so the subject of the talk is, are colleges the new luxury brand? Mm-hmm. And that just that title alone, I was like, well, yes, it really does seem like that. Well, and the w- tuition definitely makes me feel like, you know, I'm mm-hmm. buying a house or something. Oh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> and so, you know, it, of course, it begs the question of one, is it worth it, right? And then two is... Is that what higher education is meant for, right? And so the two of them, somewhere in their talk, they're, they're talking about, well, these elite colleges has become social caste sorting systems. Mm. Yes. Yes. Right? Where then you just, you get into this private network. And um, the way that Scott Galloway says it, he says, he says, you know, this is when you get all these, uh, all these kids from the rich families and, mm-hmm. and these, uh, you know, of course, they're already privileged from birth. You get them into these schools and then you put the Vaseline over the lens yeah. of, of this whole thing by admitting some truly extremely extraordinary freakishly freakishly extraordinary kids from the lower income families in order to make yourself feel better it's a neosporin he used neosporin you you all remember that line right right. and he talks about like there's only two cohorts that you know ride the spoils into college it's like the kids who are born into privilege but are also remarkable yes who get in because and they then, get all the tutoring and stuff like that. You have right. all the resources to do that. I mean, they're not mm-hmm. all stupid. They are remarkable, but they are also are very rich. Yes. And then the second one are like the freakishly remarkable people who yes. aren't privileged. Mm-hmm. And those are really the only two, you know, groups, groups. of people that yes. get into colleges or elite colleges. Mm-hmm. So what do we do? I mean, you know, is this a system that can be changed? Uh, of course, in that talk, they're talking about mm-hmm. one of the things is you use big tech. Mm-hmm. You use technology to put, for example, classes online. 
Yes. Right. So some and if you do that, you can essentially double your campus size or、mm-hmm. perhaps increase your admission. Right? Is that something that you see as being possible with such kind of like an elite college? Absolutely not. <laughs> There's just no way、okay. that's going to happen. Why not? Because if you're talking about the most elite colleges, let's say let's take your alma mater, Harvard. Harvard. <laughs> You know, you're basically telling Harvard that they should increase their acceptance rate, so they're accepting at eight percent, whereas Princeton and Yale and Stanford are accepting four percent. Guess which brand is actually going to be more valuable? There you go. And、right. if you're the Harvard admissions director, are you going to be the person who is personally responsible for halving the Harvard brand? That's such know, a good after point. After four hundred years of history. Yeah,、yes. I mean. At this point, it's like a competition for how many people they can they can turn down. It's like they're being rewarded for how low their acceptance rate is, and they always brag about it every year. Every year, we turn down this many people,、yeah. like they said in the talk,、yes. right? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I mean, I've always kind of joked about it with my students that after working as an admissions consultant, I would love to go back and work as an admissions officer at、mm. one of these schools. And you know what I would do? Like, I would love to work at a school that's kind of slightly below the top tier、mm-hmm. and try to get it up. To as high as possible, and exactly the way I would do it is to try to convince everybody under the sun that they have a chance to apply to my school, even、mm. if they have no chance, so that I can lower the acceptance rate, so that I can raise the privilege, I would raise the prestige, and that's exactly how I would try to raise the prestige of the school.、Um, you know,、mm. and, and there's, there's actually empirical evidence to this. Like if you look at, for example, graduate school rankings,、mm. uh, specifically business schools.、Mm-hmm. Like the undergrads, the rankings tend to be very stable through the years, through the decades. The only exception to that in the last couple of decades has been Stanford Business School.、Mm. You know, they they're a relatively young graduate business school.、Mm-hmm. You know, although Stanford University itself obviously isn't young, but the way Stanford managed to kind of rise through the rankings very quickly, despite being a young school, is by basically restricting its class size. So that it was very very tough to get into,、mm-hmm. like even back in the 1980s and 90s, where you know all the top business schools were accepting, like even Harvard, including Harvard Business School, they were accepting about 15 to 20 percent.、Mm-hmm. Stanford was already down to six or seven percent, even back in the 80s and 90s.、Oh. And as a result of this, U.S. News and World Ranking kept ranking Stanford at number one. And you, when you see the statistics, you could see Stanford. As an outlier, you know, everyone else was accepting fifteen to twenty. Stanford was accepting six to seven, six to seven percent. And in terms of test scores on the GMAT, which is the business school equivalent of SAT, all the other top schools were scoring about six sixty at that point out of eight、mm. hundred. Stanford was already at seven twenty at that point.、Mm. So that's how it got through the rankings by doing that. And nowadays. All the top schools are, you know, scoring、yeah. about seven twenty, seven thirty. So, Kevin, what you're basically saying is, this is human nature. We can't do anything about it. This is the way that it is. The system is set up such that just the most elite ones are going to be the ones that admit the fewest students, and by admitting fewer students, they become elite. So it kind of self perpetuates that way. Yes. Yeah. I mean, I would say from an institutional level, you could say there's nothing we can do about it. But、mm-hmm. where I think there's a lot we can do about it is on an individual and societal level. Uh, exactly. For example, like what is the prestige or kind of the perceived bragging rights、uh, that we have for going to an elite school versus a school that's slightly quote unquote lower, but not being obsessive over that difference. I mean, let me give you an example that、mm-hmm. I actually told Summer as well. This is from、uh, from the business school level as well. I、mm-hmm. had this remarkable student from Taiwan, you know, who worked at McKinsey before she applied to business schools, and she was the most easygoing. 
high achiever, you you would ever meet. Mm -hmm. And her attitude was, you know, I've done well in life such that I know if I'm applying to top business schools, I'm going to get into one of the top. But there's no way I can know whether I'm getting into number one or number five or number 10. Mm -hmm. So I'm not going to worry about whether or not Mm -hmm. where in this range I fall because there's nothing I can do about Mm -hmm. it. Mm -hmm. So the way it works is Harvard Business School was one of the schools that she was applying to Mm -hmm. and happened to be her top choice. And the way Harvard releases its decisions is at midnight on a specific day, it would release the online decisions for everybody. Mm -hmm. All the rejections and acceptances and and uh, wait list. Okay. So usually, I mean, midnight Boston time meant it was 1 a.m. Sorry, noon Boston time meant it was 1 a.m. Taipei time. Mm-hmm. And usually all the students and applicants would wait up anxiously because 1 a.m. is not that late. Mm-hmm. Right. So right. people would wait up to hear the result. Right. Mm-hmm. This girl just fell asleep because she didn't <laughs> care enough because her attitude was, you know what? Harvard cool. is one of the schools I'm applying to, yeah. but I know given my quality, I'm going to get into one of the top. Mm-hmm. So I'm not going to stay up just for this one school because yeah, the I'm results sweat it. Yeah. The results going to be there in the morning anyway. So I'll get it when I wake up. Mm-hmm. So when I didn't hear from her that night, which I usually do from all my students who apply to Harvard Business School, mm-hmm. I was like, wow, this is probably bad news if she's not telling me. Mm-hmm. But so the next day I texted her. She's like, yeah, I got in. <laughs> <laughs> that was it. I mean, that was her attitude because she just didn't care enough about the difference between one and ten. But you know, the I mean, in- interesting thing is about all this fuss about going to college. I think ultimately nobody asked about the customer satisfaction. You buy a car. People go, hey, how do you like your car? But with this education, hey, how do you like to drive? You spend all this time stressing over this. Are you getting the job that you wanted? And then are you actually getting a job? You know, are you actually easy to work with? You know, I see a lot of Harvard, you know, business school people actually, they're really hard to work with because they are on this like, you know, hi, I... I, I, I'm from Harvard, you know, kind of thing. Right, yeah. But I already dropped te- like, you know, like 150K yes, on the education. Yes, respect so I, me. Yeah. <laughs> and yeah. plus they have an alumni. They have like a, alumni like watermark as in like, you know, you, you can't, you have, you have to make past a certain standard or something, yes, right? Yes, Yeah, in order to keep up that prestige. Yes, and, and, then, and some of the jobs really don't really require that much education. Mm-hmm. Actually, it actually requires you to actually go and do it, you mm-hmm. know, that kind of job. Mm-hmm. So you want to know, like, after spending all this money, I mean, I, I question that too. What is the, we talk about, like, um, how, what you put into your education, does it really reflect on having a great future? Because to a lot of my friends that actually... It, it, it's not, it's not, it doesn't mean that if you go to Harvard, that means my future is so bright, I got to wear shades, you know. Kind of. Right. Well, the, um, I think most of the Ivy League graduates, they do go into one of several already well-worn tracks, right, into banking or consulting or um, maybe academia. And it's in one of those cities. And everyone, if everyone is all going into those, then, I mean, what are you saying about society? Right. That's the one mm-hmm. thing that came out of the yes. uh, Andrew Yang Andrew, Sky yeah, yeah. Galloway talk yes. is yeah. that most of the spoils of the extra productivity that's created in society seems to be going to the small number of people. But we're trying to change that with education. That's what education is really supposed to be about. It's about evening the playing field. Yeah. And if what you're doing is you're perpetuating actually the inequality of society by going into this elite system then something has got to change, mm-hmm. right? And what is that something, right? What is that, how, on what level do we change that? So Kevin, you're basically saying you can't change it on the, on the school level. 
And I think Scott Galloway also says that. He yeah. says, look, you know, you, you, you have, everyone wants a good life, right? Yeah. And so you, you can't have someone who's a university president looking at their leisure and be like, yeah, I, I, I actually want to make my school more equal. But maybe you can change it on some other level. So one of them that you're saying is maybe personally we can uh, change the way that we perceive higher education and about the differences between the schools and to do more homework and find out what is a real good fit, right? Like you're, yeah. you're a student that goes to, uh, that, that applied to several different business schools. Yes. I mean, there's, I think there's objective, you know, factual observations to this, mm-hmm. right? You know, like in terms of solutions we're looking for, I always favor looking at solutions that are not just politically correct, but are actually factually accurate. And what's factually accurate is if you look at, you know, schools at a certain tier, it really doesn't matter where you are in that tier. You're basically going to have the same avenues of professional careers available to you as long as you're within this group, you know, caste system, if you would. Mm. But I think people often define the caste system way too narrowly, right? Somehow, Mm -hmm. if you go to Yale, these avenues are available to you. But if you go to University of North Carolina, it's not available. That's not true. You know, and that's why my student being very objective and very rational was able to see that. Whereas a lot of people, because they're very emotional and caught up in the brand at a very obsessive level, are not able to see it. Because mm-hmm. in her mind, one in 10 gets you the exact same place objectively. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So why are you sweating over one versus 10? And I think you could even say the same thing on a career level. You know, what yeah. uh, Andrew Yang was saying, How- yes, like let's say everyone is obsessing over getting into McKinsey, let's say, you know, because it's a very, very prestigious firm. But if you look at it factually, there are plenty of other jobs out there that can get you the same monetary rewards and professional progression that a McKinsey can get that are just kind of flying under the radar for whatever reason, because they don't have quite the same prestige on a superficial level as a McKinsey. I think there is where the solution lies. But what about a company like when they hire, did they actually look for the name brands too? I mean, I think that's one like for companies to hire because maybe you don't need to hire so many people from these name brand schools. Maybe give other people a chance, you know? I think Mm -hmm. that might change the system. We're starting to see that. We're starting to see that. I can speak to that a little bit because Mm -hmm. I used to vet resumes for McKinsey specifically, Mm -hmm. right? And to the point where, you know, you're not, you do care about brand, but you're not supposed to be obsessive over it. Mm -hmm. Essentially, I would just look at someone's school and Mm -hmm. basically if it sounds like a good school, Mm -hmm. you just get kind of get a check mark. But I don't differentiate between a University of Michigan versus a Stanford mm-hmm. because they're all kind of just in the same category. So this is what I mean by factually the way it actually works in the world. There is no minute differences you know, between these elite schools already. But yet mm-hmm. parents and kids are sweating over the supposed differences between them. Yes. Mm-hmm. So I think there's, is, there is where I think at least part of the solution should come from. Mm. All right. So... To wrap up this episode, how, why don't we do this? Let's go around and because we're all you know, we've been through this before, and including you, Summer, even though you haven't entered, officially entered college right. yet, but you've gone through this. So different, you know, age levels and, and all. So, um, let's just give some word of advice or encouragement to our listeners, many of whom may be parents, highly anxious about their kids' educations and their futures, or maybe they're students. Um, what can we tell them? to make them maybe feel better about this process that they will go through someday. Mm-hmm. Summer, why don't we start with you? 
you know, I'm going to take some words from my dad because he's always been very supportive and giving me good advice growing up. And he always said, like I said before, you should go to a school that's best fit for you mm-hmm. socially and academically. Yes. And on a, yeah, like Kevin said, it really doesn't matter between like a one and a 20 because if you truly are hardworking, exceptional, intelligent, you can thrive at any place that you go to, right? Um, and it, it, it's just about the environment that you put yourself in but also about you yourself. And so both matter, but it really is, you know, up to you. Um, and it, it's okay wherever you go. Like people, there are so many successful people that didn't go to like the t- top 20 schools because college and your undergrad doesn't define who you are. Right. College doesn't define who you are. Yes. Yeah. Thank you, Summer. Charlotte? Um, I think our system's really stressing our kids and parents out a lot. I think we, we need to stop this. Um, I think uh, if your kid did not go to a school that you think is a great school, they can always go to grad school uh, of a school that you know. I mean, I went to a really, really small liberal arts college. I mean, so small, it's almost going to disappear, Mills College. But I, um, I ended up going to uh, UCLA for my graduate um, studies. And then, you know, I did venture capital and um, I started my own business. So, you know, I mean, you never know where life is going to take you. I mean, not going to the top 20 schools doesn't mean the end of the world. Mm-hmm. I mean, I mean, we always, um, it's okay to, you know, it's, it's, it's okay to go to um, a suitable school, not so stressful, and then decide where you want to go from there. I mean, a lot of entrepreneurs didn't go to like college and they, they are okay as well. So let's don't think um, of college applications in such a narrow sense. I, that's my advice. Yeah. And this is spoken as a mom who is going through this right now yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, with a lot of friends who are just as anxious. Yeah. Yeah. And Actually, so, yeah. so these words are ones that you want to share with your friends around next yes. to you as well, right? Yes. Mm-hmm. Yes. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Thank you, Charlotte. Kevin? Yeah. I mean, I, I feel like what a really important point that underlies both what Charlotte is saying as well as what Summer is saying is the, the whole idea that getting into one specific school isn't the be-all, end-all in life. And I think the reason for that is because opportunity, I mean, the, the really ironic thing is opportunities nowadays in our world are more plentiful than ever for all kinds of different people, right? Because And at the end of the day, education is only a means to an end to get you to these opportunities. So it's ironic that in a day and age where these opportunities are so ample, you know, and you could kind of explore so many different paths that people are behaving in a more narrow minded path than ever, thinking that there's only one path to success. Whereas the reality is opportunities on a career basis, on a personal development basis are really just more rampant than ever. And that's something that's really important to keep in mind for everybody, because it doesn't matter like Charlotte said, where do you go to school? Like after you get out, when you go to the workplace, when you're going through major life decisions of, you know, this is really a much wider place than ever. And mm-hmm. it's, and, it, and there's really no one path to get there. Yes. Right. And, but so if that's the truth, if that's the reality, then why, why be obsessive over this one single data point in your life? Mm-hmm. Don't be obsessive. You know, and if you are find yourself obsessive, go and find Kevin. He'll talk some sense into you. <laughs> yeah, you have too much money that you want to give it to college. Actually, you can do all sorts of charities and stuff like that. You don't have to like your kids should be going to their college on their own. On merit. their own, yes. yes. On their yes. own. 
well, thank you all very much for your for your words of um, you know I, I'm speaking both as someone who graduated, but also as someone with young kids. And one day, this is something. In fact, I'm starting to think about it already, and starting to feel that anxiety about it already. But recently, in the news, there's this IPO of Coinbase. Yeah. Right. Mm. And I remember a Bloomberg article saying that you know this this Coinbase is going to mint thousands of new multimillionaires and maybe even billionaires. And I'm just thinking to myself, right? So the world is changing in such mm -hmm, a way. Mm -hmm. I mean, you know, 10 years ago, there was no such thing, right? Even the concept wasn't around, right? Mm -hmm. So if we're looking at it like this, and the, the elite colleges is this kind of such a well-worn path of elitism and, uh, and so-called, you know, path to success. But now there are so many different paths to success. So do you want your kid to be someone who tries to eke out, you know, just that little place for themselves in this grand river where everyone is trying to get into? Or do they take the road less traveled mm -hmm. and maybe really discover a whole new world. world of possibilities, right? I mean, this ultimately comes down to if you're a parent, do you dare to let your kids have that freedom? Yes. Right. But actually yeah. that insecurity comes from within because sometimes yeah. you're insecure about yourself. That's why you put that insecurity on your children. Mm. Yeah. And in ter terms of the world of infinite possibilities, the flip, side of, the flip side of that is when you have possibilities, you've got uncertainties and therefore insecurity. Yes. So wow. in a sense, yeah. Wow. So that comes back down to where your luxury brands because you really love them, not because you're insecure. Yes. So... That's our episode for today. Hope you all enjoyed it. And we'll see you next time for Between Here and There. Bye. Bye. Bye, Bye guys. Hey, we hope you've enjoyed this episode of Between Here and There. If you enjoyed it, kindly give us some stars and leave a review for us on your platform of choice. If you have any questions, comments, suggestions, referrals for guests, etc., please feel free to contact us on our social media accounts. Just search Between Here and There on FB or IG. This show is produced in collaboration with Soundshine, Xuanyan Wenchuang. Our hosts are Sean Liu, producer Charlotte Guo, assistant producer Summer Shen, and this really awesome music you're hearing is by one of our season one guests, Spark Wu. Until next time, thanks for listening.